Chapter 18, Part 2 from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Torres Hiller. For this is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't know about you, but I'm just so excited every day that the Lord gives me life, breath, and strength. Amen. Eyes to see, legs to walk, a tongue to speak, eyes to see, lungs to breathe. I'm just so excited. Amen. 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 Um, and so before we dive into this text on today, I want to say to the angel of this house, Dr. Pastor Peter Hahn, I salute you for this opportunity. Amen. And to all the pastors in the house, preachers and those, uh, my brothers and sisters in Metro, I greet you grace and peace to God our Father. And so I just want to say I love you guys. You're looking good. Looking good out there. Amen. Amen. And so... Um, I want us to position our hearts as we begin to read this text. And so let's, let's go here. John chapter 18, 15 through 27. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I've always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. For a few minutes, I want to be able to talk to us about the title, A Brave Heart. And if I were to add a subtopic to this message, I would say hashtag, A Brave Heart, an untold love story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace to trust you more. We thank you for this word that you have given me. I pray, Father God, that it would land on your people with season and salt and light, oh God, that it would be able to refresh and reach them down to the very bone marrows. We ask, oh God, that you would give us a clean heart and restore in us a right spirit so that, God, we can serve you in season and out. And we thank you for the word that will go forth. And I pray, God, let them not see Torres, but to see Jesus. Let them not hear Torres but to hear Jesus. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, may it be acceptable, pleasing in your sight, O oh God, so that your people, we, your people, will begin to love contagiously and to love like nobody's business. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The brave heart, an untold love story. And so... Valentine's Day was a few weeks ago. It was a few weeks ago, and 
you know, I'm sure, did anybody get some good gifts and we got some presents and we got some flowers and candy and all that good stuff, right? I think that maybe even some of us might have gotten a two-for-one special that we got some gifts, some outfits, and even got a weekend getaway because we had two days off that following weekend, right? President's Day. And so I'm excited about love was in the air, and so I'm preparing for the snowstorm because it was the snowstorm that Wednesday coming. And so after work, I go to the local shop, right? And I'm preparing for the snowstorm. And I go down, up and down the aisles, and I see three men, and they had roses in their hands. They had chocolate in their hand. I mean, ladies, I'm talking about the good stuff, Ferrara Rocha. <laughs> they had the good stuff, and I was just like, wow, all right. And they had some candy and roses and flowers, and they had all that stuff. And I marveled and chuckled. And the reason why I chuckled was because although I know they had good sense and they were brave enough to tackle, to say, I'm not going to let a snowstorm stop me from getting a gift. But I also believe that they were trying to avoid a snowstorm in their home with their wife, their girlfriend, or their boo. <laughs> At least in my mind, right? And so the power to be able to go to the lens for the person that you love that you wouldn't even let a snowstorm stop you from getting what you need for the one that you love. And so as we're dealing with heart and February um, is Black History Month, we know that Valentine's Day is one of the most celebrated holidays and the world deals with all this romance hoopla and all these gifts, but truly that's not truly the hallmark of love. It appears love is focused on the external things to gain versus God's perspective, which is to give. But if only love were about chocolates and gifts. See, the truth is love can get uncomfortable. Love can get quite sticky when we get into the thick of things and to the heart of the matter. Love doesn't seem all sweet and fluffy and kind and cute when someone has truly broken our hearts. And when our heart has been broken, sometimes we can close off and shut out. And we're really blocking the flow and risking ourselves for a stroke in the spirit realm. Did we know that for Black History Month, I wanna tell us these facts that, did you know that black Americans have the highest incident of cardiac arrest outside of the hospital and are significantly less likely to survive? Among women, black women have the highest prevalence of cardiac arrest. And over 60% of African-American women will die of cardiac arrest. And while it only takes 90 seconds to save a life, it takes a lifetime to reset your body, to get it in motion, to, piece, to put the pieces back together so that our heart can flow and operate the way the Lord intended. Amen? And so we have to learn prevention via CPR and healthy life choices that can truly impact the heart and make a difference in our community. And we don't just carry the trait as African-Americans and even some of you in the room of physical entities like sickle cell anemia and autoimmune diseases and entities with rich food that we cook with and even in our genes that make our heritage so rich. Yet we carry the scars in our soul that our black men struggle with daily and our black women struggle with in the aunt of racism. And so do you at moments, at times where you were treated unfairly and unjustly, it can truly break your heart. It can truly crush the soul and cause our hearts to shatter into pieces and we spend a lifetime trying to pull it back together. W.E.B. Du Bois says in a, a poem that he wrote, Souls of Black Folk, he wrote about racism that impacts the black identity. And he says, the reason why we're being separated by the color, it weighs on the soul of black Americans because one, God did not create us that way, but it forces us to press against an identity of unity that God already wanted. 
And so he says that it prevents the human from reaching their highest potential as being a human being on the onset of racism. And I think of racism, another word can be offense. And we know that's the enemy's number one tactic is offense. That when we get in our feelings and someone has hurt us, we shut down and we don't want to love again. We don't want to do again. We don't want to engage again. And sometimes it's sad to say some don't even want to live again. But Jesus has come so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. And it's not just about the unspoken trauma that impacts our relationships, but the heart of the matter is, I believe instead of focusing so much on what divides us, I would rather concentrate on what unites us. And so it's not about black or white. And while I am proud to be a black woman, but I also have Caucasian roots, I also have Latino roots, and I'm sure somewhere I got Nigerian roots in me somewhere too. But it's not about the color of my skin. Because the truth be told, we can't control who we love and how we were born. God is in control of that. And so when we surrender that posture to God, we're able to consider this and maybe we can have an openness instead of being so closed-minded and closing up our hearts to the things that God is leading us to in this season, this time, and this hour. When I was growing up, um, you know, they would always say a closed mouth doesn't get fed, which means in order to eat, we got to open our mouths. And God is positioning us to be able to open our hearts to him today so that we can receive and we can rest and we can release and move into the agape love that he would have us to do. And so as I dive into this text, I want us to consider two questions. One, are you brave enough to love and be loved? And two, are you brave enough not to deny the one you love, even if it's costly? And so if we're going to possess a brave heart, we've got to be bold and courageous. Because the definition of brave is ready to race, face, and endure danger or pain, and to show courage. That means we can't be a punk about love. (laughs) That if we're going to love, we're going to do it right, or we're going to do it not at all. But I want us to understand three things in our response to being a brave love is that one thing, a love that is open will suffer. We learn these things about God's response to love in this text. One, a love that is open suffers. Two, a love that is open forgives repeatedly. And three, a love that is open thrives sustainably. You know, God calls us to be into covenant. He calls us to be the bridegroom. And although some of us may not be married and we don't have to say I do, but we still have to say I do to God and walk in the covenant and be with him. We don't have the permission to be able to walk in and out of love as though it's a light switch that we cut on and off just because we are bruised. And so the definition in the Greek, love is known as agape love. And hear this definition, ladies and gentlemen. Agape is that uncomparable benevolence, that undefeated goodwill, which will never seek anything but the highest good of others. Let me say that again. Agape love is that uncomparable benevolence The undefeated goodwill, which will never seek anything but the highest good of others. Being brave is unpopular, as we see in the text with Jesus, that he openly suffers for the sake of humanity. That Jesus wittingly suffers through the slap in the face, as we see in verse 22, where Jesus openly is slapped by this jailer by this guard and this guard has slapped Jesus and I believe it wasn't a simple slap and we talk about turning the other cheek 
But is it always that simple? But when we turn the cheek and we begin to learn that Jesus models the heartbeat of love, that he openly in front of everyone takes the L and takes the hit for us all. And meanwhile, I know the agony of his heart that he's not just suffering physically with that slap in the face, but Jesus is also suffering when we see Peter deny him three times. And a lot of times, how many of us that we start our journey in love and we are so steadfast in that thing, but somewhere along the lines, we get embarrassed, we get confused, we feel disrespected, disregarded, and now here we are at a moment to speak, and Peter says nothing. Let's consider the perspective of Jesus, that Jesus is humiliated, Jesus is disrespected, Jesus is disregarded, yet his response is to speak truth. Jesus is with Peter for three years. He spends three years with Peter. He spent time with Peter. He poured into Peter. He loved on Peter. And Peter witnessed even miracles that Jesus performed time and time again, particularly one that he just saw at Jairus' house. Yet Peter still responds with nothing. Jesus, I believe he might say, Peter, you was a part of my inner circle, yet you deny me. That's got to be painful for Jesus. Do we ever consider the heart of Jesus? Do we ever consider how Jesus feels each time we have a moment to speak and we don't? Do we consider the response of Jesus that he suffers any time he wants us to love or to speak or to grow with someone, but our response is silence or nothing or denial? And Jesus is here in the text we see Jesus suffering, the agony of his heart. He hurts deeply and greatly when we dishonor him by the absence of agape love. Peter being that close to him, he served beside him. He spent time with them and still he does not fully know him or fully love him. We can presume that perhaps there's some kind of lack of trust based on his response or lack thereof. Because an open heart, it doesn't hinder belief, but an open heart requires full belief. And so Peter responds with brotherly love, and there are three opportunities for Peter to change his response, yet he's consistent with his resistance of denial. That has got to hurt. Or perhaps Peter had a closed heart, or perhaps Peter was deeply afraid for his own life. And so Peter standing there witnessing someone he loves get slapped and he does nothing. He's either afraid or ashamed or perhaps both. The Bible tells us that we will suffer with Jesus, truly suffer for love. But Peter too perhaps is suffering at the sight and the knowing on the inward side that he has betrayed his beloved Jesus. And John, who's the writer of this text, the, the writer, the disciple of love, is writing and giving us a clear picture that these two characters in this love story show us how we should respond. And so Jesus suffers not just the physical pain, but this is the suffering of heart pain. I believe this is the suffering of emotional, relational pain. When two come together in friendship or in sisterhood or siblings or in fellowship with us as a church community. But we come together, yet we struggle with how to love one another. Perhaps we don't know all the story of Peter, but perhaps somewhere we could surmise that Peter doesn't even understand how to love. And so... We have David, which is a clear response that shows us that even when we make mistakes, that even when we don't have everything packaged, that Jesus knows us from the very beginning, and he's able to say in Psalms 18, 19 through 21, he said, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands. He has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I'm not guilty of turning from my God. 
And so David declares more than once in Psalms, creating me a clean heart and renewing me a right spirit. He also says, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. And so that shows us that even in the midst of suffering, that we will endure some heart pains, but we've got to continue to press and engage and know that God can handle all of our contradictions. God can handle our afflictions. He can handle our mistakes. He can handle our fears. Because what drives us to not be able to move in a hava or agape love? Fear can be the number one cause to prevent us from walking in love, afraid to get our heart um, hurt again, afraid to, to live again, or afraid to do again, afraid to give again. Because what do I do if I've given it all and there is no response? And so Rob Reamer says something that I think each of us can really understand as we move from fear to faith. We move from betrayal to claiming Jesus. We move from denial to truly being up close and personal with Jesus. And Rob Reamer in his latest book says, Deep Faith, it says, it's the one, it's one thing to know you're loved by God. But it's a wholly other thing to have the adopted love of the Father revealed by your heart, by the Spirit. There is a life-altering gap between knowledge and revelation. When the truth of the Father's adopted love shifts from your head to your heart, you are bound to trust him more. And so a lot of times we can stay in our, our head because the soul remembers what the soul remembers. And it can't unlearn. It can't unsee. It has to be able to see the way Jesus sees. And the one thing that we see clearly about Peter and Jesus is because Jesus in John chapter 1, he declares and gives Peter a new name. His name was Simon, but Peter, <laughs> Jesus calls him Peter. Peter, he's named Peter because it means the rock. And so isn't it amazing how Jesus, in spite of knowing that he would betray him, in spite of knowing that he would hurt him, in spite of knowing, yet Jesus still calls him by a new name because he sees farther than where he is in this moment. Oh, come on, somebody. That's good news. That God can meet you at the point of your very suffering, your insecurities, your proclivities, and be able to get to the heart of the matter. And he gives us a new identity that we're not marked by our color or our skin or our denomination, but we're marked by the heart of the Father. And so even in suffering, we learn that a love that is open will suffer. But secondly, we learn that a love that is open will forgive repeatedly. I want to get personal for a minute. Here's a picture of my ex-fiance, Patrick and I. We look happy, don't we? We're celebrating my 40th birthday party and he cooked the meal for a table of 25 and gourmet style and we spent a lot of money and we celebrated together. But here's the next picture. Here's our first date. And so from that very beginning, we were close, we were connected. From that very beginning, there was a surge, there was an energy, and there was love that continued on and on. And he lived in Connecticut, and I live in New Jersey. And so you know when you get them butterflies when you first fall in love, Pastor Peter? <laughs> you first fall in love and you're connected to the hip. And so there was no distance that would stop us from being together. I would travel to Connecticut sometimes. I would work here and then go straight there and stay there a couple of days and come back. And I did that for over a year, back and forth. He traveled here, I traveled there, and it was just magical. But somewhere along the lines, as we started to go out and go places, his insecurities, because he struggled because of a, door, a divorce before we got together, he was struggling with insecurities. And although I knew it, I still loved him even in his brokenness. But unfortunately, 
because of his struggle and unhealed rejection, the more I loved him, the more uncomfortable he got. And he couldn't understand how can she love me and all of my stuff. But it wasn't me, it was God. And so we ran into some struggles, we ran into some trials, and he kept thinking that the more he bought presents, that that would fix it all. He thought that I wanted presents when I didn't ask for it, nor did I want it. All I wanted was to be with him. And so can you imagine that somewhere along the line, I'm continuing to love, but he's rejecting the love, and the sting of rejection began to hurt me. And so unfortunately, we parted ways, and he decided to give me a call months later, and of course he wanted to reconcile because being with me one time, I'm telling you. <laughs> and I'm talking about connection, not that type of intimacy. Let's clean it up, y'all. <laughs> but seriously, he wanted to come back, and my heart truly wanted to go back. But I knew through the power of the Holy Ghost, because I forgot to tell you, the mistress that I had in our relationship was Holy Spirit. Because when we met, I was on a prayer line at that season in time for years at 5 a.m. And no matter how much God blessed me with the very thing I prayed for marriage, it would never stop my relationship with God. And so I still got up no matter how many times I had to drive on the highway and go back and forth, whether he was in New Jersey with me or whether I was in Connecticut, nothing stopped my talk and walk with God. And that's what we have to get to the point that no matter what, that even in pain, pain produces purpose. And when we have an understanding of that, we are willing to go the distance and do what we need to do for the person that we love. And so Patrick, he called back, and the first time he responded, I blacked out. How dare you want to come back? You missed the best thing that ever happened. Am I the only one that feels like that? I mean, all the ladies, I'm trying to help you out. Are you the prize in the room? <laughs> and, you know, I didn't like it. The Holy Spirit convicted me. It was like, yo, you know better. Like, yo, you really know better. You're right. And so let, let me help you out. We got to give up our right to be right. We got to give up our right to be right and just do the right thing. And walk in the righteousness of God because he called back and he was hurting because his health was declining and he needed a kidney. And if I'd have been all like this, I would have missed the moment to witness for Jesus. And so I made a plea on social media to all my friends and my circle that he needed a kidney and we needed some donors. We needed a match. And some time went on and he still needed calling and coaching. And I decided to call, to counsel, to sit all night on the phone and pray and minister to his soul because his life mattered. And just because we weren't together, I still ministered as though I was a wife. So ladies, let me tell you, wives, you are the battering realm in your home. And gentlemen, you are as well. And so I want to encourage us that when we have opportunities to love, even when it doesn't feel comfortable, even when it hurts our heart, even when our hearts are broken, and although my dream of marriage was broken, I still decided to love. Love is the cornerstone of trust. And a lot of times the issue is we can't love properly because there is no truth. And without truth, there is no trust. And without trust, there's no transparency. And without transparency, there's no transformation. Without trust. <laughs> There is no truth. And without truth, there is no trust. And without trust, there is no transparency. And without transparency, there is no transformation. And a lot of times we're missing the biggest piece between our head and our heart is because we're failing to tell the truth about what's happening in here. 
And we're afraid to speak and say, my heart is broken. I love you, Lord, but I don't understand this. I didn't understand I would have to go through this. And I'm still called to minister to the very one that broke my heart. Dreams of being a wife, dreams of being a mother, and now that is shattered. But we have to understand that although Patrick had his part, I played a part too. And we have to own that perhaps I could have did some things differently. And the truth is, perhaps I was afraid and walked away because I didn't want to continue to look foolish over and over again. Or perhaps he secretly sabotaged our relationship because of his fear. Either way, covenant was broken. And if God's will, as we, I want you to understand in marriage, that marriage is not all about warm and fuzziness, but marriage is a true commitment and a response to God that if he says that we are called together and there is a purpose over this union that come hell or high water, we are sticking this thing out. And if God is calling this church, our church, our community, to dwell in unity, as Pastor Sunita preached last week. To be able to deal with the crisis, as Pastor Peter preached. To deal with our shame, as Pastor Doug preached. We are called to move in brave love. And braveness, you're not worried about being popular. And frankly, ladies and gentlemen, you're not even welcome to be understood. Because the more you love the way God is, People are going to think you're foolish and crazy. But I'm willing to look like a fool for Jesus. I'm willing to give it up all for Jesus. And we got to get to that point. And so the second, a love that is open forgives. And we see it in the next text where this progressive love forgives. In John 21, 15 through 17, we see Jesus now re-engaging with Peter. Peter re-engaging with Jesus. You see that? That they did not stop or disconnect. But Jesus is hurt. He has suffered. He's been disrespected, disregarded denied three times, up close and personal with Peter, gave him a new name, a new identity, yet Jesus sees beyond that and decides to re-engage. And so John 21, 15 through 17, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of J John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus chooses to forgive because we can presume that he forgave because we see that at the cross that the same one that slapped him in the face is there at the scene of the crucifixion and he's wiping off the cloaks from Jesus. But Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what I do. The heart of true love is to forgive again and again. And I believe Peter's right there too. And Peter also is forgiven by Jesus as we see him reengage. But I also believe the love of Jesus allows Peter to forgive himself. Because when Jesus says, do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. And that is our response that God wants us to do in this day, in this hour, to feed his sheep, to go to the 7-Eleven and say a kind word, to go around the church and give someone a hug, to be able to walk down the street and be able to love our stranger. We can't afford to get so comfortable in Metro. We can't get so comfortable with Inglewood and Bergen County that we are afraid to go to other places. 
that we are afraid to be able to dwell with our brothers and sisters because the word of God says how sweet and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell in unity. And I don't know about you, but I'm sick of the enemy driving people into isolation. Because that's not what God desires unless he calls you to the wilderness, which is a divine experience. But other than that, we ought to dwell in community. Because the enemy's number one tactic is offense. And when we're offended, we close off, we shut down, we hide, and we stay in, and shame breeds. And we know them from one tree branch, there's another and there's another. But if we're willing to say, even if you reject me, I'll love you. That even if I look like a fool, I will love you. If we're willing. Because when we fail to forgive, ladies and gentlemen, we are holding our heart captive and henceforth a blockage is taking place. Offense causes us to retreat and instead of pressing towards the promise, we are running away from what we think is a problem but is disguised as an opportunity. And the very thing, because of unchecked and unhealed rejection, the very thing that I prayed for, I might have walked away from prematurely. And how many of us are forfeiting the promise of God to dwell in unity, to dwell in love, to have that kind of ahave love, because we're afraid to love again. Matthew 18 and 21 says, how long shall I forgive? It says 70 times 7. And so that tells us that we ought to forgive. We ought to forgive. Amen? I know we too quiet up in here. <laughs> but the spirit of fear, it grips each of us in a different way. And so all of us are shaped uniquely and differently. And I understand I'm not ignoring the reality that, Dr. T, I'm hurt. I've hurt and I've loved and my heart has been broken. And even if it's not in someone else, I've, I've hurt myself. How do I get back to that place to love again? The spirit of fear grips each of us in a different way. And whether it's me looking like a fool or whether it's you self-sabotaging, either way, we must press into the promise of God. Because God is in the restoration business, as we see. Peter is restored. He is restored. And do you believe that you can be restored on today? Through the power of the Holy Ghost? Because you can't do it on your own. If you do it in your own strength, all of us would have quit a long time ago. Right, Pastor P? And so Peter encounters Jesus again and again. And although he still made mistakes along the way, and each of us will do, just like Patrick and I did, but he was still used mightily by God. And I want you to be encouraged and empowered by that today, that God knows your very name, and he can change your name. He can change your story chapter by chapter, line by line, because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And when we press into the promise that for God I live and for God I, I die. I am willing to die to self, to give up my right to be right, to prove a point to somebody, but to move and mirror the heart of God. And so we see the first incidents as we go to our last point, that a love that is open thrives sustainably. And the word thrive means to grow. The word thrive means to flourish. It means to mature. And a lot of times we can tell that some of us and all of us need growing because our responses are immature. But God wants us to surrender it all and be willing to grow with him. Because one thing I love about Jesus, that he was willing to go step by step with Peter. Because the first time we see Jesus with Peter, he responds with brotherly love. But the second time we see Jesus with Peter, John 21, he's moving to that Ahava love, feed my sheep. And by the time after Pentecost, through the power of the Holy Ghost, when Peter experiences the Holy Spirit and he's empowered, he is now one of the greatest glory carriers in the gospel, and he is preaching and declaring the word. 
And that ought to give us hope that our story doesn't end there. And each time we encounter Jesus, our response should change. Something within our hearts should change. The blood should begin to flow. Circulation can begin to move. And none of us have to die prematurely. And so the third time we see Peter in 1 Peter 4 and 8, it says love covers a multitude of sins. And how can Peter proclaim that message if he had not experienced it? And so are we forfeiting experiences with Jesus? Because we're afraid to give him our fragile heart. Because we're afraid to be brave and bold enough and courageous enough to say, sis, all right, you hurt me, but you know what? I love you. I'm here. I'm not moving. Because God wants his people to be restored. We serve a great God that specializes in reconciliation. We do not serve a God that drives and dwells in us being divided, but he wants us to be connected. As Ephesians tells us, we are all one body, all parts and members, and we all have to come together. And so progressive love, love that is open will thrive and mature. And so I have one pivotal question to have you think about before you go home today. Not just are you brave enough, to continue to love even when it's costly because it costs Jesus. Jesus could have easily, easily said something different because he is the great Messiah, but yet he took the hits, he took the taunting, he took it all for us. Because he knew everything that we would experience, he knew every grief that we would feel, he knew every offense that we would have, yet he responds with love. And so the third time we see Peter, Love covers a multitude of sins. That means what you did yesterday, what you're going to do today, and even what you might do tomorrow. And while that doesn't give any of us a license to sin, just know that God is able to handle all of your sin. And the greatest sin that we can ever commit against God is to make a sound decision to no longer walk in unity. That we allow one experience to navigate our whole story for the rest of our life, and that's not what God wants. And so will we be brave enough today, church, to know that fear is not your portion, shame is not your portion, guilt is not your portion, unforgiveness is not your portion. But God's portion that he died on Calvary, an old Negro of Nazareth. That he died for the very omission of our sins. And if he can say in the middle of a cross in between two thieves, and he can say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Then we ought to do the same. And so as I close, here's a picture of my nephew, JJ. Love that smile, right? one of my sister's heartbeats. She has five children and he is one of my favorite heartbeats because he's not just my nephew, but my godson. So I take everything spiritually and emotionally and physically personal when it comes to him. And he dealt with racial profiling this past summer and he was arrested numerous times. And he had a really hard time so I decided to take him for a weekend for three days. And we see three, that's all throughout this message, three times Jesus, three times Peter denies. And now we have three, and I'm three, one of a triplet. And so it matters three, which is the number of God. And so he went through a hard time. So I took him for that weekend. The first night I cooked some dinner for him, whatever, gave him my room and do what you got to do. Get some peace, get some, you know, sanity, get some refreshing in your mind. The next day I get him up, I get him a fresh cut, right? I get him some fresh kicks. And you know, when you get a fresh cut and some fresh kicks, what happens next? You want a fresh outfit, right? So I took him to the Old Navy and I thought I was doing the right thing, right? Two minutes after we get into the Old Navy, he was triggered, and I didn't know that because he saw a cop outside, but I did not know that. And so he freaked out. We went to the car, and I asked him what was wrong. And even before he told me that much later, he said, Titi, 
I appreciate everything you're doing for me, but I don't want all of this. I just want to be with you. Do you see the reason why I'm sharing these stories? Because each time I grow in God, my response and how I love and the sting of rejection ought to change. And of course, I'm thinking I'm doing the right thing. So in the first 10 seconds, I'm offended. I'm all in my feelings. But thank God for the Holy Ghost. That I made him a smoothie. We got home. And as soon as I got home, he picked up his laptop, went to the couch, picked up his notebook. I'm sure he's mine. And two seconds later, he was smiling from ear to ear. He was in his happy place. And he was with me. And so... Just as my nephew wanted my presence. And Patrick and I learned a valuable lesson that I didn't need presents or gifts. Jesus is charging all of us to navigate through our lives and learn lessons from them, not as pain points, but as producing and purposeful points. And if we open our hearts and we obtain open access and gain the ability to receive and believe every commandment from the Lord, I imagine Jesus, our father, just like my nephew and my godson, who longs to be with his children, we should long to be with him just as much. Nothing should ever supersede God's presence. Because in his presence is the fullness of joy. You want joy? Tap into the presence. And for those of us who are wondering, how do I get into the presence of Holy Spirit? It's by spending time with him. It's about relationships, not rules. And so this is not a rule thing. This is a relationship thing. And the more you talk and walk and talk and walk, he'll tell you to go left. And he'll give you closer and closer and closer. And so are we willing to open our hearts? And to walk through the door that God wants because Revelation 3 and 8 says that I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. And so I dare you to walk through the door today and open up your hearts today to receive the power of the Holy Ghost, the Sanctus Numa, the Paraclete, to be able to receive God's presence when we open up our heart through the power of forgiveness and divine repentance. And when we learn to trust the Holy Ghost, we can trust ourselves again. And when you trust again, you can believe again. And when you believe again, you can hope again. And when you hope again, you can receive love. And then love others like nobody's business. And the same way that I love and it's contagious, I pray that you would today would learn to walk in contagious love. That you would even though that hard sister or brother, that hard mother or father who didn't love you, or even that hard co-worker that's difficult to work with, help me Holy Ghost. <laughs> that you still respond with love. Because the last thing we need in this season, in this hour is to have a negative reputation more and more for the church. And so no matter how much our hearts are broken, by now the pieces that we have to fix. But just as much as you need grace, your leaders need grace. Because each of us are growing together. And so Pastor Peter, would you stand? Pastor Doug, if you're in the room, would you stand? Pastor Ancy, is she in the room? But we see Pastor Doug and we see Pastor Peter. And would you come up, Pastor Doug? Pastor Peter, come up. This is the color of unity. And you see how Pastor Peter grabbed my back? Thank you. 
your leaders, we love you greatly. And we're pressing you into the promise of God that this is not a one person thing, but this is all of us together. Because when I fall, this and when I fall, this one has my back. And in times when I can't love myself, I'm grateful for the people in this room that love me. And so can we check our hearts today and press into the presence of the Holy Spirit to pray for one another and to love each other back to life because that's what God wants us to do. Because love is the healing agent. And they need grace to grow just as we're giving you grace to grow. But the door is open today. For us to get this thing together so that we can be brave enough, bold enough, and courageous enough to love one another and others that we don't even know yet like nobody's business. Amen. 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 And so let us pray. Father, we thank you for the grace to trust you more. We thank you for the word that has gone forth, and we thank you for the power of your blood that rests through each of our veins. And Father, we come before you saying thank you. Thank you for loving us past our fears, past our rejection. Thank you for loving us even when we denied you and we should have proclaimed your glory. But I pray, Father God, that God, your love would invade your daughters and sons on today. That, God, you would fill them in the empty places, in the inward parts of their hearts, that they would know that you love them despite their faults. And that, Father, each time we repent, God, that we can trust you more and trust ourselves and allow the greater in he that lives inside of us, O oh God, to be displayed upon the earth. And so, Father, we thank you for our heart that forgives and a heart that will live. And we say, God, create in us a clean heart and renew in us a right spirit. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from us and allow us to walk in the fullness of joy so that we can rest, receive release, and be fully restored and proclaim your promises, oh God. And so, Father, we just buffet the enemy's assignment right now. That there is no plot or plan or scheme against this word, but your people will hear, will see, and will grow in love. And we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.